think about what just happened here. We were just reminded in the most wonderful and clear way that our gracious God is a peacemaker. God in Christ has condescended himself to make peace with people like us, people who are born sinners. What outrageous extremes God has gone to to reconcile sinners like you and like me to himself. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To receive Christ by faith is to be at peace with God. Are you at peace with the God of all peace? I urge you to think about this this morning. Are you, are you trusting in the Prince of Peace, Jesus, to shelter you from God's wrath for sin, to impart to you his life? Does the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Peace, testify within you that, that, that the war between you and God is over? That you're now surrendered to his gracious rule. I'm urging you to consider this because it is absolutely foundational to this seventh beatitude that we find in Matthew 5 and verse 9. King Jesus says to his kingdom people, his saved ones, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Those who have received peace from God in Christ, become diffusers of peace, if you will, in the world, dispensers of peace. Peacemakers are those who spread the message of peace with God. Peacemakers are those who live and and advocate for peaceable human relationships wherever they go. And you think, well, good heavens, how how different is that from the world that we live in? This is the life the gospel calls God's people to, a life of peacemaking. We're to be peaceable people, not combative by nature. Even when we must contend for the faith, and we must, we're not to become contentious people. By the power of the gospel, peace receivers become peace diffusers, peace dispensers. Pick your word. We're to be those who spread the peace of God. Are you peaceable within yourself? Are you a peacemaker? in your relationships with other people. Well, we're going to read, as we've been doing, all of the the Beatitudes in their context. We'll begin with verse 1 of Matthew 5, and just look at three things. First of all, the heart of a peacemaker, and then the habits of a peacemaker. We'll spend most of our time on that with God's help. And then finally, the honor 
of a peacemaker. What, what is this blessing that Jesus speaks to his own when he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Verse one of Matthew five. And, and seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him and then he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember, in the Beatitudes... God's anointed king, Jesus, the king who has come to save his people from their sins, is now speaking forth the way of his kingdom. The Beatitudes are sort of the, the preamble to the, uh, the way of the kingdom. In other words, what are kingdom people like? Right? What, what is the nature of those who truly belong to him by faith? And each part of this, this preamble uh, builds upon what was before it. What are Christians like? What are saved people, kingdom people, really like? Well, in verse 3, uh, we are told that uh, the, the, the kingdom's people have nothing within themselves to commend them to God, and they know that. They come to God empty-handed, needy, desperate for grace and mercy, and the poor in spirit are blessed. How desperate are they? Well, says verse 4, they, they mourn over their sin. God has granted them by grace that, that godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And this repentance is not merely an idea. It, it, it's, a, it's a turning from the self-life, the the sinful life, if you will, to the Godward life. It's a turning away from sin and a turning to Christ as king. And, and these kingdom people, says Jesus, are meek. Not meaning that they're weak. They're not a bunch of wimps. No, they are strong in the Lord. It's just that their strength is under the Lord's control. They're spirit-controlled. They're not self-controlled. Blessed are the meek says King Jesus. And, and his people hunger for a righteousness outside of themselves, says verse 6. And God provides this righteousness in Christ. And they are satisfied, even as they desire more and more to live righteously. Is that you? Because that's a Christian. But that's what it is to belong to the kingdom of heaven to be one of the king's blessed people. And this work of grace, says Jesus, in verses 7, 8, and 9, um, imparts virtues that are being built, that are, that are growing 
in reality, in the lives of his people. Verse 7, having, having received great mercy from God, the king's people are merciful themselves. Having been declared holy, pure, positionally, the king's people desire to be pure in reality. From the inside out, there's a, a God-given desire in his people. Is there not to, to be holy as Christ is holy? And then in verse 9, having received peace with God, we are now used by God to dispense peace to others. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, this is the only time the word peacemakers appears in the New Testament. So, so, so we don't want to do one of those things where you say, well, what, what's a candlestick maker? Well, it's somebody who makes candlesticks. If, if you don't know what a candlestick is, that doesn't help you at all, right? We don't want to do that. What, what's a peacemaker? Well, in, in, in Greek, it simply means to be peaceable. But remember, Jesus, um, Jewish in his humanity, is speaking to a multitude of, of Jewish people gathered on a hillside in Galilee overlooking the Sea of Galilee. The Jewish idea for peace is conveyed in an Old Testament word. You've heard it before. It's the word shalom. And it's a really big word. Uh, it, it refers to not just the absence of hostility. It, it refers to prosperity or wholeness or wellness. It's a, it's a really big word. In relationships, it would mean friendship and care and loyalty and love, all of that stuff. In fact, it's such a, such a broad word. The Bible uses the word shalom to describe the sum of all of the blessings that come to his people under the Messiah. It's the blessing that awaits God's people in the new heaven and new earth under the reign of King Jesus. And so to wish someone shalom, peace, in that culture would be to, to wish someone that enormous blessing from God, not just the absence of conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What, what is the heart then of a peacemaker? Well, she's somebody who's experiencing the wholeness of one who lives under the reign of Christ. He enjoys the, the wellness of one who, who is right with God, as, as was just testified earlier. The battle's over. He lives for God. And she knows that joy. You see, a peacemaker's aim is the glory of God, as opposed to what? As opposed to self. The self-centered person cannot be a peacemaker. Peacemakers are those who are dying to self in order to live a Godward life. As we'll see in a few moments, sin and self, twins by nature, are the great enemies of peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now let's just define peacemaking biblically and, and also broadly, and then we'll get more specific. The, the king's blessed people 
are those who are at peace with God. That's why I asked you at the onset, are you at peace with God? Does your, does your conscience testify that, that, that the, the, the war between you and God has ended through your faith in the work of Christ for you? Peacemakers are those who are at peace with God and they promote peace with God among others. And they pursue peace in relationships with all people. And we understand that Jesus is describing the character of those who are born again. These are people who live in allegiance to King Jesus willingly, gladly, voluntarily. It's a work of the Spirit. In other words, he's not referring to someone who is just kind of mild and conciliatory by nature. You know, a type B instead of a type A, that sort of thing in terms of personality. This is not to do with natural personalities at all. Or the person who is just sort of by, by, by personality quiet and kind of mild-mannered and just always wants everybody to get along. That's not what this is talking about. This is a work of the Spirit of God. So what then is a peacemaker like? What, what are the peacemaker's habits? And I, what it, my heart this morning, friends, is to take this from the shelf of, of, of theological ideas, which are, which are really important, foundational, and, and, and bring it down to, well, how, how does that impact the way I live life? What do I do with this? Well, so what are the, the peacemaker's habits? Well, first of all, peacemaking is, is not just a thought. It's, it's, it's a way of life. And so you and I, as believers, are meant to get up every day thinking, um, hey, I, 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 I'm not a person who's going to sow strife and discord and contention. I'm someone who is indwelt by the spirit of peace. I'm a peacemaker. Now, you may not preach that to yourself every morning, but that is the disposition of the Christian. In the same way you don't think of breathing or maybe the fact that you need to, to eat to stay alive. You don't literally preach those things to yourself. It, it's, it's the nature that you have. So it is the new nature in Christ to be a peacemaker. Listen to Colossians three twelve through 15. Therefore, as the elect of God, and so these are Jesus people, kingdom people, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. In other words, your peace with God, my peace with God, this outrageously wonderful gift of grace that is ours is to be the guide, the, the referee in terms of the way we conduct ourselves in the world. In, in terms of the way we conduct ourselves in our relationships with other people. And so living with tenderness, mercy, 
kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, and forgiveness. These are the habits of the peacemaker. My own peace with God now rules my heart in relationships with other people. Blessed are the peacemakers. The Puritan Thomas Watson puts it this way. He says, it is the nature of grace to change the heart and make it peaceable. When grace comes into the heart, it infuses a sweet, loving disposition. You say, well, what does that look like? It looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. One commentator put it this way. He said, peacemakers are people who breathe grace. Inspired by the gospel, they draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ and then breathe out his love, mercy, forgiveness, and wisdom to dissipate anger, improve understanding, promote justice, and model repentance and reconciliation. Wow. That's a tall order. I mean, that is such a tall order, friends, that it might actually require a person to live by faith. So what does peacemaking look like in real life? We're just sort of defining it. What does it look like in real life? Well, in the Old Testament, are you still listening? In the Old Testament, Abram, later known as Abraham, um, typifies the peacemaker. And I want to just give you one example. The, the Bible tells us of a time when Abram's herdsmen were um, quarreling with the herdsmen of his nephew Lot. God had so blessed Abram uh, that when they got to the land of Canaan, um, they found that there wasn't room in the same place for both men's herds. And You know, God had just blessed Abraham that much, and so strife broke out among the herdsmen. And we don't have to go back to ancient history to kind of know what this is like. When you are faced with a decision between X and Y, and you get to choose, what happens? Well, you you want whatever's going to work for you. Well, that's exactly what, what Lot did. The scripture says, Abram said to Lot, Uh, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And so what what does Lot do? Well, he he selfishly chose the very best land, the the well-watered plain of Jordan, the scripture says. It it was like the the garden of the Lord. I mean, how nice must that pasture land have been? And yet Abram deferred and went west while Lot went east. In other words, a peacemaker is somebody who puts others first to prevent strife. Now, that is a very easy thing to say, but it is completely contrary to human nature apart from grace, isn't it? Just try this little test. Sometime this week, those of you who are married, you you say, well, we're going to go have uh, lunch or dinner someplace. Um, Honey, where do you want to go? I don't care wherever you want to go because that's the kind of person I am. And, and, and 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 she chooses that place. And, and immediately you're thinking, I don't want to go to that place. Now, now I'm stuck with what she chose, right? 
How are you going to get out of that one? Now, we laugh at that. But it does, I think, show just how ingrained this is in human nature. And by the way, men, always go where she wants to go. That's that's just extra, isn't it? You trust in the providence of God? Abram did. Lot did what? The scripture says he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And we know his sad testimony. In other words, we know where his selfishness led. And Abram, who who we might say from from a human perspective, chose second best. I mean, he let himself uh, be uh, stuck, if you will, with, with second best. Was told this by God. Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. (laughs) In other words, God reiterates his promise to Abram to bless him so mightily that an entire nation would would come from him, a blessed nation, a, a family of people from around the entire world. Listen, peacemakers are so confident in God's good providence so secure in God's promises to them. They don't feel the need to insist on being first among others. Even those who contend against them. In the peacemaker, there is this disposition that says, God has this. I don't have to scrap and scrounge for first place. When you're so happy in God, That ego begins to die. You're no longer trying to use people and circumstances to see how much you can get from them. In other words, you are free now to love people instead of use people. That's what you see in the example of Abram. And it turns out, lest we think Lot like pulled a fast one, God had the whole thing under his good, sovereign purposes for Abraham. And you might remember that Abram didn't just put others first for the sake of ending strife. He actually wanted God's best for Lot. What happened to Lot? Well, he was so overwhelmed by the sin of Sodom, he got swept downstream into immense evil, didn't he? And by the way, that always happens when you pitch your tent Toward Sodom, when you, when, when you think you can live comfortably in and around sin. And, and soon we, we see Abram in Scripture pleading with God for mercy toward Lot and the people of Sodom. Judgment was coming. And by inference, Abraham, Abram pleading with Lot. You, 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 you've gone off course. And you see, that's the heart of a peacemaker. And the habit of a peacemaker, peacemakers plead with others to be at peace with God. You say, well, that sounds like a special category of person called a missionary. No, that's a Christian. That's somebody who belongs to the kingdom of heaven. You want to see others enjoy peace with God on God's terms. Declaring the gospel of peace 
God's rescue from judgment, God's way to blessing. Don't take my word for it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5. God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us, kingdom people, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the habit, not just the heart. This is the habit of the peacemaker. This is the the life of the citizen of Jesus' kingdom of heaven. What are the habits of a peacemaker? Peacemakers put others first to prevent strife. Peacemakers plead with others to be at peace with God. And and of course, the ultimate example of peacemaking is the king himself, right? Remember, Matthew has told us right at the beginning of chapter 1, who is this Jesus? Well, he's he's the son of Abraham, the promised Son of Abraham, son of David, the the descendant of Abraham who has come to fulfill the promises God made to Abraham. He's come to save his people from their sins and to, to, to rule his people as their king for the glory of God. Christ's people will be that great nation that make God's name great on the earth. Is not Jesus the prince of peace? You realize there will not be peace on this earth until Christ reigns as king in the hearts of the people on this earth. And all who know the king travel in this way of peace. Ours, Paul says to the church in Corinth, is the ministry of reconciliation. Philippians 2, which turns our hearts to the cross of Jesus, says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then says Paul, let let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who did what? Though he is God, humbled himself and was obedient to the Father all, all the way to the point of going to the cross. What peace God has given in Christ and what a costly peace this is. Now, it's sometimes helpful to think in terms of opposites. So um, the opposite of a peacemaker is a troublemaker. The person who always has to be first, always has to be right, always has to get the last word. Aren't you glad you're not like this? Always striving, always debating, arguing. You see, it it is the nature of our king's people. 
This, this wonderful work of the Spirit is happening. Yes, we are that way by nature, but we've been given a new nature such that we're being transformed from selfish troublemakers to selfless peacemakers. This is the fragrance of Christ. Is peacemaking a habit you've been cultivating with God's help? Or can you relate a little bit to the person who may well be sitting here this morning thinking, you know, I've taken my eye off of that. Because I live in a, in, a, in a debating culture. I mean, we argue about stuff we don't even care about. I mean, we, we engage in strife just for sport, right? It's just fun. God says, you know what? My kids aren't like that. Peacemaking, biblically, is not just about the absence of strife in some general sense. Parents, think about this. Your, your kids are in the, the back seat of the car or their van, or you, maybe you've got them on a motorbike, I don't know, but probably it's a car, and they're fighting like kids sometimes do, and um, you want there to be peace in that vehicle, and, and so you say whatever you're prone to say to help that along, and there's just silence, right? And, but how many of you know the silence itself isn't really peace, is it? I mean, there's tension in the car. I mean, so much so that you, you, you want to open a window sometimes, right? I mean, it's just thick in there, the tension. Aren't you glad this doesn't happen in marriage? It's just with the kids, right? <laughs> so, so we understand that just the absence of fighting is not peace. It's pursuing a state of harmony and, and calm. It's bringing goodness and blessing to others, not simply withholding harm. And I know I'm probably not the only one here this morning who knows what it is to have a relationship or two in which you're really just hoping to, to not do harm, right? Can you relate to that at all? Is it just me? Nobody making eye contact just now? Let me just um, wrap this up in a couple of ways. Let, let me just mention a couple warnings in Scripture about peace. What does the Bible say that warns us about peace? Well, Christians do not settle for a false peace. A peacemaking is not the same thing as peace faking, okay? The world is full of peace faking. We're all just going to pretend it doesn't matter that we pursue what we call truth that's diametrically opposed to God's truth. Somehow that's going to work out. No, it doesn't. So biblical peace is not a pretending that all is well when it really isn't. L listen to Romans 12. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God says, I'll take care of the judgment part, the vengeance part. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And I, I have to confess to you all, are you guys still listening? I used to read this verse wrongly. 
Because I used to read Romans 12, 18, thinking, well, here is my out. It's not possible to be at peace, you know? I mean, there are times when Fred says that about Barney, right? How can we be at peace? That's not quite the heart of this verse, is it? It's saying, much depends on you. Much depends on you to live at peace with others. Christians are to be peaceable with all. But with all, the absence of strife, disagreement, is not always possible. God's peace is the peace of truth and righteousness. Anything outside of that is a fake peace. It's a peace that exists in right standing with God. It's a peace that exists in the atmosphere of that which is right with God. Psalm 85 sings of the kingdom of heaven in its fullness. And what a beautiful song it is. What's it going to be like? Well, the psalmist says, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. So just calling the absence of strife peace is not really what the Bible is talking about. It is the peace of truth and righteousness. The peace that comes when Christ reigns as king in the hearts of people. And so for now... In this fallen world, where truth and righteousness are so disregarded, have you noticed this? So disregarded, even ignored, attacked, God's people will not be at peace with people who live in rebellion against God. Jesus will soon say to his people in Matthew's gospel, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Well, what, what in the world is he talking about that? How do you reconcile that with blessed are the peacemakers? He's simply saying, The people of God will not be at peace with those who don't love God. And, and, and many of us have this in our own families, maybe your immediate family, maybe your extended family. There's this tension that's there. There's this strife that's there. Because your hearts are not united around love for Christ. And so, so we cannot be at peace with those who, who reject the truth, who, who, who hate righteousness, who, who reject Christ as king. Even within the body of Christ, uh, this, this priority of truth and righteousness comes into play. Listen to Romans 16. Paul says, I urge you, brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. So those who digress from the truth of God, the word of God, those who advocate things that are contrary to the word of God and, and by doing so cause division in the church. Paul says we can't have that. Because now peace in the body itself is put in jeopardy. 
So in that situation, a peacemaker does what? Well, he, he keeps himself, and, and, and if it's an elder, those he's responsible for away from those who are divisive. Proverbs 22.10 says this, Cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. If you want peace, drive out the one who makes light of the things of God, who refuses to live in line with the truth and righteousness of God. Titus 3, avoid foolish disputes. Boy, do you think churches today have foolish disputes? Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. So peacemaking takes some courage at times, doesn't it? But even as we contend for the truth, and listen, The church in America desperately needs to remember this truth from God. Even as we contend for his truth, we're not to be contentious people. If we're going to offend, let the gospel offend, not our behavior. So in this very Sermon on the Mount, you still with me? We're getting close. In this Sermon on the Mount, later in Matthew 5, Jesus gives some really specific instruction for how how we're to do this. He says in, in verse 44 of Matthew 5, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father, in heaven. And this brings us to the honor of the peacemaker. Notice the similarity. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, um, and then uh, in the Beatitudes, they shall be called sons of God. This, this is the peacemaker's honor. They shall be called sons of God. What in the world does that even mean? Many of you are parents, some of you have had parents. And you, you know, that'll come to you later. You, you know, somebody was just telling me this between services. You know what it is to sit in the bleachers at a basketball game or a soccer match or, or how about if your, your kid wins a blue ribbon at the county fair, hypothetically. Um, and what does the parent say? That's my daughter. That, that's my son. And there is a sense in which God has sprinkled his kids into this fallen world. So full of strife. So full of me first. So full of I got to have mine. And they're different. And God says to the world through his children, those are my kids. That's my son. That's my daughter. Do you see what they're like? They're like their father. He's a peacemaker. 
We proclaim the gospel of peace, do we not? And so God's kids are peacemakers. It's it's an evidence of salvation itself. And our blessing is not only to be marked as God's kids now, but that we have the certainty that we will be welcomed, owned, if you will, as the sons and daughters of God when he judges the thoughts and deeds of all people. What, What a blessing this is. We'll be welcomed into the Father's house as peacemakers. Why? Because we belong to the Prince of Peace. In fact, the the kingdom in its fullness is a kingdom of peace, shalom. So what, what is the honor of the peacemaker? The peacemakers are claimed by God as his own and welcomed into his presence. Live toward that, says Jesus, that blessing. And you won't be so focused on, how come I'm not first? How come my herds didn't get that grass? The verb shall be called is continuous future tense. In other words, for all eternity, peacemakers will be known as the sons and daughters of God. That's the kingdom that we're living toward. In fact, the scripture says the kingdom will be so permeated by peace. Get this, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Is that peace or what? A little child can play safely by the, the, the home of a cobra. Wow. All strife between God and man is over. All strife between man and man is over. Strife within the created realm itself is over. And how solid is this promised lasting peace for God's people? It's more solid than the most solid parts of creation now. Listen to Isaiah 54, and we'll end with this. For the mountains shall depart, the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed. See, we're living toward a day. Christians, think of the enormity of this blessing. We're living toward a day when every single heart on planet Earth will be governed by King Jesus. Doesn't Isaiah also say, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So peacemakers live toward an eternal kingdom of righteousness and peace. That's the finish line. The habits of a peacemaker are to do with what we do as we live toward that finish line. Church, listen, we're, we're heaven's peace corps, aren't we? By God's grace, we want that to be our testimony in the world for his glory and for the advance of his kingdom, which is a kingdom of peace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this otherworldly, experience of peace among people that is only possible among those who are at peace with you. And Lord, we thank you this morning for giving us such a powerful reminder in the waters of baptism 
the extreme to which you have gone to bring peace to your people. And Lord, I pray that you would give grace that we might be those who are so overwhelmed by the enormity of that, this peace we have with you, that it would spill into our words and our way of living among others. And we ask you this, Jesus, for your glory. And it's in your name we pray, amen.